Welcome to the Soul Podcast. Great stories, tough issues, grace in the real world. Soul is a production of Through the Word. That's the intro. Time for the show. So let's get to it. You've got to hear this story. Welcome to the Soul Podcast, everyone. Great stories, tough issues, God's grace in the real world. Brad Hornback is with me again. Brad, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. We are in part four of our series, and we have had quite some stories. How are you, how you hanging in there? I'm, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. It's very powerful, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm enjoying this. Our series is called Gunfire, Grace, and Resilience. Now, once again, I won't give quite the warning that I did in parts one and two. We're not going to head back to the uh, the shooting in this episode. We talked a little bit about recovery, and today we're going to talk about freedom, uh, fear, talk about the fight inside, and, uh, and we're going to dig a little more into the character that it gets developed on the, the road of recovery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we're also going to step into uh, a couple of the elephants in the room and uh and maybe talk a little bit about about guns and Ooh. but uh but we'll see where we get we let's actually got a lot left to yes. talk about yes first thing i, I want to jump to oh let's let's introduce our guests i can't oh, that. i almost forgot to introduce them chris <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> frank and autumn big Nami, welcome back to the studio thank, thank you. you steve and albert Treskies. Thanks again for being good neighbors. And, You're a great neighbor. Uh, <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. I'm going I'm to leave that one in. And hey, how's Brad as a teacher? Uh, he's he's awesome. a great teacher. I paid him. I didn't really. How he's much not really. You're not really a teacher, though, are you? I teach, I teach teachers now. He's a teacher teacher. teacher. teacher? Wow, you must have graduated up. Now the first thing I want to I want to dive into on this episode I want to talk a little bit about fear as as we I had to give a warning for for the first couple episodes because we're talking about a scary situation mm-hmm. and so Steve I actually want to start with you on this one because this is something that you've got to deal with on a regular basis you're a first responder and so how how does fear play into to your role and and how do you respond to it both as a firefighter but also as a man of faith. Uh, I think it's a balance, right? The the fear that rolls in with with the shooting is it's kind of what was alluded to earlier. It's something totally out of the ordinary, something you're not anticipating. You know, as first responders, you train for it, but actually being a part of it is a whole different a whole different animal. Um, I'd be not telling the truth if I said that there was no fear because when you hear those gunshots going through the crowd and you hear the screams and you're the confusion that's going on uh, there is a fear that kicks in it's a it's a fight or flight and it's a I need to get to a to an area to protect my wife and I and I think that was felt by most of the crowd that that can move I know that Frank and Autumn talked to it that they needed to move um, it's no different for a first responder. I'm, I don't hold myself at any other level. I just have been exposed to it more in my profession, so I feel like I'm able to get a, a handle on it quicker. It still happens. The, the Rolodex starts to spin, but then I have to stop it and kind of get grounded and figure things out. As far as the faith plays into it, the faith is everything to me because even though my, my human emotion wants to run wild and start to get a little anxious, uh, that's where the faith kicks in. And, and again, I, I talked about it earlier was that's where I know my faith is real because my heart is convicted to go back to trust. It's not natural. That's really not a natural mm-hmm. thing is to is to fall back on your faith or your trust. 
but I'm thankful for that. That's something that that's that gift of grace that God gives us, and to be able to look for that grace in that situation might take a little time uh, for different people. He's given us different lenses. You know, I listened to Frank and Autumn's story, and I am I'm so encouraged, and I know that they have a different lens they're looking through life right now. They got a lens of appreciation for life, their family, their kids. I get a, Abra and I are sitting here going, well, we have a different appreciation just listening to their story. It's so mm-hmm. powerful, and I'm thankful for that. But um, faith is everything for me and, and, and Abra, and that's that's the cornerstone of our relationship. It's what gives us peace. It helps us deal with fear, even though we deal with it in a fleshly manner sometimes because we're not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're thankful that we are drawn back to a to a heart of of worship and a heart of grace and mercy. Yeah. So I want to clarify something on fear. Fear is not a sin. Fear is not entirely bad. Mm-hmm. Fear is what drives us in many cases to to move when we we need to move. We talk about a, a serious situation and <clears throat> fear is also very human. It is something that we all share in common. We're we're afraid of bad things happening. Sometimes they're imagined. Sometimes it's Fears are just drive us in the night. And some people, of course, entertain their fears and want to go out and watch movies and scare them to death. It's not for me. Not for me. <laughs> I got enough fears already. But there is also a place where, where God calls us to walk away from fear. One, one of the really interesting things, you walk through the Bible, see every time that, that God shows up or an angel shows up, they almost always start with, do not fear. That, that's just, it came with it. Now, I don't know if it's because they're really scary looking or, and that's, or it's just such an abnormal situation for, for an angel to show up. But there, it is a consistent message from God, do not fear. So we, we talked a little, that, that's fear in the moment, but there's also fears that come in the recovery process. So I want to ask you guys, uh, Frank and Autumn, to, to speak to that a little bit as, as you walk through Moving forward, recovery is a slow process. How do you battle the the fear for the long haul? For me, uh, initially, there was a lot of fear. And what was interesting for me, and I had mentioned earlier about that, um, you know, in the moment, there was this whole quick conversation with God, which I had never really had very much in my life. And I was not raised with uh, any type of religion. It was just not what my parents did. And there were several times in the hospital when I woke up, I woke up five days later, of kind of these panic moments of what's happening, what's going on around me. And what popped into my head at those moments was the Lord's Prayer. And I had never really done a lot of praying, and that was the one thing that I knew. And so I started reciting it over and over again. When I couldn't sleep, when I woke up in the middle of the night, um, I had the tracheostomy and they would do this horrible procedure where they had to suction the trach. And when they're doing that, you can't breathe. There's no oxygen in or out. For how long? And uh, it depends. Sometimes two recitations, <laughs> two times reciting the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and what I would do is I would have to hold my breath. And I got in this habit of, I repeat the Lord's Prayer. It was a, it gave me something to focus on. It, like I was, I was calmed. It calmed me because when you panic and fight it, it was worse when they were doing that procedure. So every time, and it kind of got to that point of like, okay, I'll, I'll only have to say it once. And then, oh no, I'll say it twice. And, and even since then, when I got out of the hospital, 
when I would have procedures done or blood draws done, that would pop into my head. And so I would just recite it. Even now, if I'm having a panic moment or I can't fall asleep at night, I will recite it over and over again until I fall asleep or until the moment has passed. I think there's... Now, depending on somebody's Christian background, they'll feel differently about reciting the same prayer over and over again. If, you, if you're Catholic, then this comes very naturally to you. If you grow up Protestant, then maybe you're told, well, we don't recite the same thing. But there is something powerful about the Lord's Prayer, uh, our Father who art in heaven. And there's something for me that just sets my perspective almost immediately different when you speak to our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And my heart is moved into a, a different place. And, and it's powerful. It's the prayer that Jesus told us to, to pray. Yeah. Uh, Brad, I actually want to ask you for a moment uh, about PTSD. Uh, now, you worked as a chaplain for, for some years and, uh, and for, for the military. How do you speak into to PTSD when fears keep coming back? Well, you know, the first thing is it's a very real thing. I think there's sometimes people want to pass it off as just the person's weak you know, mentally, or they just need to suck it up or they need to get over it. But that's not the case. It's, it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, generally, and, and it, this is a bigger question than the couple minutes I probably have to answer, but generally you want people to realize, um, one, that they can't change the situation that occurred. The situation that occurred happened the way it happened and it went down. Um, kind of speaking back to, you know, Frank, you in the earlier episodes talking about, you know, did I go the right way or not? You know, that could factor in. It's like, well, this is the way you went, and we're sitting here today to talk. I mean, we can't go back, and we can't change that situation. And there's a piece that comes from reconciling there, yourself a, with that as past. Yes, and, and the fact also that you can't necessarily change other people's decisions um, that have already taken place because, again, those are done. They're, they're in the past. It's very hard, though, to get over that, and it's a long process to, to have that understanding of, it's in the past. It's done. I can't change it no matter what I do. But what I can do from this day forward is what's going to affect my life and those around me. I mean, really having that outlook and seeing, you know, the, the, you know, the, the idea of we get to still have each other. We get to still see our babies. You know, you, you have that outlook. And I mean, again, there, there's a lot more to this. But ultimately, um, it's, it's a recognition of you can't change circumstances that have taken place. We can moving forward. Moving forward, yes. Yeah. And again, it's a healing. It's a process. It's, a, it's not something that, that I, I don't expect that folks who are wrestling with PTSD will just listen to those quick words and say, oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> no, you, you have to recognize that healing takes time, healing of both of, of the body and of the mind. And it's not always the person that's going through it themselves. It's the people around them because a lot of times, you know, I was a chaplain with the military. So with soldiers, uh, in a lot of cases, you know, it's it's just like, well, they were trained to deal with this stuff. They knew what they were getting into. Can't they handle it? You know, are they just being weak? And it is a very real thing, you know, but you can't see it. You don't see the, the scar of it. And so it's easy to pass off as those things and not recognizing, no, there there's something here that's wrong and needs to be dealt with. Yeah. One verse that really comes back to me as I consider dealing with fear. The Bible addresses fear quite a bit because it's a very real and human thing that, that we go through. Sometimes useful, but sometimes can be debilitating. But as uh, when the word says that perfect love casts out fear, mm-hmm. you know, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. And perfect love casts out fear. And, and in that 
love plays a role. There's a battle between love and fear. When, when fear is overcoming, to know that, that you are loved and to hold on to, to those you love, love is, is always a big part of that battle. And to know that you are loved perfectly. And the word perfect in the Bible isn't how we use it today, like, oh, that's, that's the best one there ever was. Perfect means completed. In older English, perfect means when, when love, when you understand the fullness of it, when the fullness of God's love for you, there, there's a casting out of fear that happens. You know, another part to that I would add is the, the concept of love. You know, it's, it, this is given to us by the Lord. I mean, he, you know, Jesus is asked, what is, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God, basically because he first loved us, right? But he says, love your neighbor. And one of the things, too, with, with that, that healing process through PTSD or with PTSD is, like many things, is it, if we are loving others, if we're we're putting the focus on others, sometimes it gets us, it gives us that help to get over our own point, our own situation. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that it's gone and it's going to be a process, but that love for others can help us, I guess, selfishly in a way, heal. <laughs> yeah, you know. And Autumn, you, you talked about that both in the moment when you thought I could die here, but also in the in the couple <coughs> years of recovery. There, there's a love for others is something that drives you forward. It makes the fight worth it. It keeps you in that. So, uh, so how does that work for you? How does uh, how, well, do, how do you keep the off of yourself, uh, the self-focus and back to th- uh, thinking of others when you're the one who, who's got to do all the fighting? Well, I've done a lot of the serving of others. And as Brad talked about, sometimes to my own detriment, mm-hmm. um, I had to learn a lot of stepping back and being more selfish and taking time for myself within my recovery because I was so focused on taking care of the kids, taking care of Frank, taking care of you know volunteering and doing everything I could. Um, but I've also found that in that, that has that is what has helped me recover. I've been doing speaking. I've gone and spoken to, to high school kids and I've spoken to police officers and I've spoken to teachers. And Frank even commented the last time I spoke to a group of students how when I come back from a speaking engagement that like I'm just I'm a little more upbeat or my personality is a little different or I you know he says that you light up when you do that like that's something that you know you were meant to do and I've gone through therapy I've gone through extensive therapy I've done talk therapy I've done EMDR which is a therapy specifically designed for PTSD to help overcome where I was at initially, which I found that as I got physically stronger, I got mentally weaker. You know, I felt fine for all intents and purposes until six or seven months after the incident. And that was when I started having panic, more panic attacks and nightmares and flashbacks and everything else. Mm-hmm. And I sought out a therapist and we worked through <clears throat> a lot and it was difficult and I'm still working through stuff and, you know, Recovery is not linear, so good days and bad days, but... Yeah, and there's a humility that it takes to accept the need for help. Yes. And humility humility is a beautiful thing when we find it, but it, it doesn't come easy for us. And, and accepting, especially, I think there's a... For, when you've got a personality of wanting to help others, when you have it, take a joy in serving others and recognize that God's called us to, to two simple commands, love God and love others. And you recognize, you know what? Loving others really keeps me going. How, how was it for you making that switch where you had to accept that I'm not just going to be the one helping. I really need to be the helped. 
It was really difficult for me at first, um, especially in that initial time, like coming home from the hospital, having to have someone with me all the time. I, I was forced to accept help. And there is a humility there and there is a humbling there of having to just, okay, I can accept this. And then I was able to really kind of eventually make that switch to being grateful for the help and grateful so I've been able to try and put that spin on it of just okay I'm I'm not angry that I have to do this instead I'm grateful that I get to do this mm-hmm. you know I have this opportunity I found a wonderful therapist so and I would have days where the EMDR is a very intense therapy and so I would have days where I would you know, oh, I don't want to go today. And then I would even tell myself, no, I'm, I'm actually not going to go today. I'm going to call her and cancel. And then I would say, no, like that. And, and I kind of put it again on the others. That's not what be- is best for my kids. If I cancel on my therapy appointment, that's not helping me to become, you know, the mom that I want to continue to be. So it was still my love for serving others and serving you know, my family that I wanted to make sure I was getting the help that I needed. Yeah. I think there's a balance in every life of helping others and, and being helped because it, it works both ways. God has called us to, to love others, um, but sometimes we can just set ourselves in a lane where everybody needs more than I do. Um, but when God puts you in a place where, where you need to be the one helped, then recognize that both of those are opportunities to, to love. Both, both to receive and to give are both opportunities to love and be loved. And love is not a one-way street. Well, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears just a little bit on this because uh, I want to share something that uh, that that Brad collected, and now this is actually still related to to those who who you have loved and those who loved you and served. But uh, but Brad actually, uh, well, I'm, I'm gonna let Brad introduce this. So Chris and I had this idea. Um, we reached out to some past students and basically just asked them a couple questions. And uh, yeah, this is the part that I didn't know if I was gonna be able to get through. And uh, so. We basically just asked them for one word to describe each of you, and then a statement of what they, you know, you what you've done for them in their lives. And none of them could give me one word. They, some of them <laughs> did, but they explained. Uh, Armando Torres, uh, Armando, uh, basically said, "Autumn, resilient and exuberant." And Frank, he said, "Forceful, powerful, confident, and assured." Mm. <laughs> uh, he said, "Life gives opportunities to those who have." The skills and to those who look for them, Frank and Autumn are the type of people who give you the skills, charisma, and enthusiasm. They propel you in the direction of opportunity and become the people in your corner forever. I love that kid. Yeah. <laughs> Carla Navarro says Autumn, sympathetic and warrior, mm. which that, ah, see that, I got the chills right now. Frank, motivational. Mm. Meeting the Big Namis was a complete blessing. Their classroom turned into an emotional outlet that allowed me to escape from my outside problems. Over the course of four years, they encouraged me to grow as a scholar, a peer, but most importantly, as an overall human being, which is interesting because you mentioned about helping them be better human beings, right? (laughs) Judith Sedano, Autumn, empathetic, frank, compassionate. The Big Namis have truly shown me what it looks like and feels like to love people fiercely, to feel safe and that home is not a place, but rather the people that make you love living this life. Whew. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm okay here. She could be a writer. I, I know. I know this girl. But I feel like well so played. much of the way that I conceptualize what it means to love and to be loved stemmed from the way they have loved and supported me without hesitation. Stanford grad. 
Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes. Stanford grad. <laughs> so she does write well. <laughs> Chris <laughs> Barayo. Autumn, encouragement. Is this the Chris I heard about? This is Chris <laughs> you heard about. <laughs> Autumn, encouragement, and frank account- accountability. And he clarifies <laughs> here, he used these words because these words repre- represent basically the lessons or reflect the lessons that he's learned from you two. So that's what he said there. He said, Autumn and Frank, through no obligation other than their own feelings, have continued to include me in their lives, babysitting even, and embrace me with their love and support. The love has pushed me past many low points in life and propelled me to continue forward and upward. Interesting, these students did not know that each other were sharing these, and that's the second time propelled has come up. The last one. One more. Mariah Tonkel, Maria. Maria, Maria, sorry, Maria Tonkel. Maria. I just met her, I'm so Maria. I didn't know this student, but I just got to, so I apologize for messing up your name. Uh, Autumn Uplifting, Frank Grounded. For me, they became my parental figures when I didn't have any growing up. I wasn't just a student to them, but instead family. And I'm sure any student who has had the honor of meeting Autumn and Frank has felt their love and support, not just by their words, but through their actions. Parents don't necessarily have to be the people you come from, but they are the people you want to be when you grow up. Nice. That was shared with me. And I. what's interesting, I ran around Paramount High School today sharing these with people <laughs> saying, you can't tell Frank and Autumn. You can't tell Frank and Autumn and telling people. And everybody agreed, like, those are so good and spot on. I like the combination of uplifting and grounding. You guys make a good team. Somebody's got to be the kite and somebody's got to hold the string. That's really good. Now, as we talk about students, how do you talk to students about all this? How, how do you, uh, what do you say to students? Um, I was pretty straightforward. I walked in and knew that I teach high school, so they're a little bit over. And basically said, look, you have questions. I'll answer them. You ask them, I'll answer them. If I don't want them answered or I don't think they're appropriate, I will not tell you that they're inappropriate or that I don't want to answer them. And in anger time, I'll just flat tell you, I just don't feel comfortable with that. And that'll be that. You'll never know it was inappropriate. I said, you're 14 to 18 years old, and you don't know, but you have questions. So if you want, fire away, I'm here. And that was the first day I walked in. I, I cried a lot. And in essence, I think for most of them, I had my seniors last year, my avid babies. Um, they helped me more than I think I helped them. I mean, I went to school to teach for them. They were the reason, like, you know, I got up, but they were my outlet. And I wasn't always there. I was, I missed a lot of days, but never once did they complain when I missed. And every time I came back, the questions were always, how's Miss? How are you? Um, you talk to them in a way that I think I talked to my own kids and that you'd want to talk to someone you'd want to talk to your kids is just, a way that I think shows compassion to everybody, even the unspeakable for, for me and him. It's just, you just be truthful, but yeah. don't overextend it. Yeah, and I think as you talk to, to kids about it, like kids kind of force you to be real. Oh, yes. and <laughs> Our oh, yes. kids. We, Our oh, kids. Yes. <laughs> But there's also a level to which, as, as, you, as you watch something like this on the news or, or just dealing with it, you, you ask yourself, how can, how can a person, how can a human being so, be so incredibly heartless to, to do an act like this? But we, we walk back into our, our own world and we deal with the people we know and we get a lot of heart. 
and we get people who care about us and that, that we love and love back. And sometimes in the situations, you know, as I said before, I don't believe that God works the, the evil things in the world, but I believe he works through them. And as, as we can find people who care about us, we choose where we put our focus. We can, we can focus on the questions that we can't answer, or we can focus on the people we can talk to. And, and where you put your focus changes your mindset, changes your heart, and gets you through it. So uh, how did you guys talk to your kids? I haven't, I haven't even got to share. Tell us how old your kids are. Oh, we've got a 25-year-old son, 23-year-old daughter, and a 14-year-old son. And Great actually, kids, by the way. Oh, <laughs> Fantastic kids. I know yeah. your kids. Um, the, the interesting thing is was we had a chance to call our kids. You know, when we jumped in that van, um, just came to my mind that I needed to call home. So pulled my cell phone out of my pocket as we were driving to the hospital was able to give my daughter a, a quick heads up. Just, hey, you're going to see something on the news. You're going to get a lot of phone calls from family and friends. Mom and dad are fine. And I don't even think it registered with her. I think she went right back to bed because it was it was so calm. And so that was really how it started. They knew what was going on right away. Wow. And then they had family and friends come over right away and start praying for the, for the incident. And uh, other than that, it was pretty – I mean, our story isn't as – as impacting as as autumn and frank's i mean it didn't really change our lifestyle we 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 didn't have any extended hospital stay um, i was able to go right back to work and uh did your kids deal with any of the fear afterwards a little bit i'd say a little bit our daughter um sarah did yeah our she, daughter did she did and and she, and so we would go through the same thing as i did you know with with telling her that as soon as you get that, you know, you're stricken with that fear, just go to prayer, you know, and, and that's, that's what she did. She seemed to be the only one though. The other, the boys, I don't even think they had a clue. (laughs) Almost too little. (laughs) And everybody deals with it differently. (laughs) But as you respond to that, one of the things it does is gives you opportunity to be together. And as we deal with with our kids, as you do with students, you, you like, like you had said before, you don't judge anybody else for how they experience a situation. Mm-hmm. You, you, you walk with them through it. And when it comes to your kids, we don't tell our kids this is the way you have to react. They, there's going to be internal reactions that just happen that they can't necessarily control. You just let them know you're going to be there with them through it mm-hmm. and, and walk through all of it. Yeah. Our, our eight-year-old is very literal and very factual and there was it was tough oh with William. Him. he William. was eight at the time he's he 10 was, now he's 10 yeah. now he was tough the six-year-old five-year-old she didn't really have any complete concept and she couldn't grasp it the at the time she was 13 she she she, she put on it she put on a good face but when we leave she wants to know where we're going you know she wants to know everything she's still there she struggles a little bit but she's we check in, make sure, but you can tell that it still affects her. And yeah. William at at ten now, he they still struggle a little bit. William, that was a tough one. That was a tough conversation. That was that was real when he asked about the guy. Yeah, that was a tough one, and it was a tough one for me to have. You had a very good response to that, though. In that, one of the questions that came up. So we were. You know, Frank decided from the beginning we were going to be honest with them with what happened. And, you know, like the kid's first response was, well, why would someone want to shoot mom? You know, so then we had to explain sort of the scope at a smaller scale of what happened. But later on, they had a conversation about the shooter, about 
This man was that angry at him. It was the Thursday before, and at that point, I think sometimes as a parent, you put your own feelings aside for the benefit of your child. And I couldn't have my eight-year-old walking around thinking that every person in the world would do this. And I knew how it worked. And so, you know, we had a couple conversations, and I said, hey, look, I said, he goes, well, how do you feel, Dad? And I said, I, I feel sorry for him. And he said, why? And I said, this is just me, son. You can feel anything you want. I said, but for me, I feel bad. I said, can you imagine? I said, how great is your life? Mom and dad went to a concert. You get to go to Disneyland. You get to go do all these things. We play baseball. We go camping. We do all these fun things. Could you ever think about doing this to somebody? And he was like, no. I said, but this man did. I said, and no one could help him. I said, can you imagine the demons he had in his head to do this? I said, we live in a country that have institutions, hopefully, to find people that do stuff like this and help them get through this. I said, and he asked, you know, did he commit suicide or did they kill him? I said, he killed himself. I said, can you imagine the fear that he had in his head at the point where he hopefully realized what he had done and that he ended his own life knowing what he had done? And I said, and I like to think that at that point he was just afraid and I felt bad for him, I said, and that we couldn't help him get past that. I said, can you imagine living that type of life, not having a a joy of going to a concert, not having a joy of having kids to hang out with and wanting to live for that instead doing this? I said, I refuse, son, to believe that, you know, anything else. And I said, and that was a conversation I had with him the Thursday after. I had to go home and I had to see him and I had to have that conversation. And I ended with, buddy, but if you hate him and you, you want to and you want to be angry at him, you have every right to be. I said, but I need you to realize that it's not normal. And for that, I, he kind of took it and in his little way that he always did, he just kind of processed it. And I saw him sat there and then him and I and Morgan went and sat on the couch. I was home for 20, not even 24 hours, and it was the only time I slept in that week was when they were on me that day. But that was the conversation I had with him, and it was just one of those things as a dad. I was furious and wanted more, but I couldn't let him know. And the conversation with a kid kind of forces you to get real. Yes. And to really process your feelings in a way Mm -hmm. that you can actually express them to your child, and that's that's good. Forgiveness is, is a complex thing it, it's it's emotional and forgiveness for something like this isn't easy and like like you said i wouldn't judge anyone where they feel about it but i would definitely say forgiveness is a gift to yourself not to the other person so much uh, to to be able to to let go did uh steven Aber, did you guys do any wrestling over forgiveness or uh where you're at about the shooter you know what like i said i each story is so personalized. Um, it, what God put on our heart, and, and this is, it's not coming from C or Ab, it's something that God gives us is looking at that individual as a soul. And I know Frank just alluded to it, what was that guy dealing with, but this is a soul that's going to be separated forever for, for what he did, right? He's going to be separated from the love of God and, and pay a penalty. And you look at that in light of the short life that we live. Um, that does hurt your heart for this guy. You know, it, it doesn't make things okay for what he did, but sometimes it's good to have that eternal perspective of where's this guy going to spend eternity? You know, I'm, I, I hurt for the families that, 
that go through so much from all these types of events that happen, you know, the recovery and the and the hurt and the scars, but I know there's a purpose in it. We don't know the purpose, but I just I big picture, I hurt for the guy, you know, because his soul I hurt for his soul. Yeah. And it's a tough one. And and for me is I always I mean, as a human, of course, you know, forgiving people that do something that's like the unforgivable in our human minds. But I go back to how can I not forgive him when we have a God that has so graciously forgiven us, Mm. you know, by giving us a son. And how can I, how can I sit here and hold hate or anything against him when God doesn't do that to us, you know? So that's what gets me through because of course, you know, in your human mind, Mm. you want, it's it would be so easy just to to hate him and i think i shared with you that i had to watch him in the videos of what he did for me that was like i had to get i wanted to see what he walking looked like walking into the hotel hallway walking into the hotel and bringing his luggage and watching the videos and for me that was i wanted to see what his face looked like mm-hmm. so that i could forgive him and and you know I think what's super important is to remember that everybody's story is different. Mm-hmm. Everybody deals with things different and you know not to to be gracious and to and to not pass judgment on how you know somebody um heals from it or forgives, you know. Yeah. I think it's important to remember that the desire for justice is a very human feeling and I believe is God-given. The desire for vengeance is a little bit different. Um, justice is something that we're called to. God calls us many times in the Bible to, to justice, both to, to protect the weak and to, to set things right, to put bad people away to, for punishment. But when God talks about vengeance, he says, vengeance is the Lord's, I will repay. And what he's saying there is not that vengeance is wrong. He's saying, I'm going to take care of it so that you don't have to. That's a gift that he gives. When we talk about justice, well, things should be set right. Yeah, God will take care of it. Hmm. You don't have to be the one that sets it right. God gives us the grace, the the gift to be able to to move on, let it in his hands, and he'll take care of it. And in in his time, in his way, in eternity, he'll set the things right that need to be set right. And he'll forgive the things that need to be forgiven. And, uh, and if they don't, that's, that's his business. Vengeance belongs to him. We don't need to take it away from him. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us to closing because we are out of time once again. And uh, I'm sorry to say I'm going to have to leave uh, the elephant in the room. <laughs> and uh, we're not going to have time to, to see where this gets us about gun control. We'll I think, we, I think we talked about the things that matter. <laughs> but I do want to read a couple verses before we close out. And, uh, and once again, this series we've been doing Theology Throwdown a little bit different. We're just going to read some verses that, that speak to, uh, to each of us about... Um, about, in this case, uh, courage and fear, as we talk about this. So Brad wanted to take us into it. Yeah, courage and fear basically are what these verses are <clears throat> going to focus on. And actually, Chris, you have the first one, so I'll I throw it back to one. you. Yes. Second Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's, I'm not even going to comment. <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> shocked. Steve, you had one? Yeah, I, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. 
in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid, what can mere mortals do to me? Mm. Mere mortals, right? Mm. So much more there. Autumn, I believe you wanted to share a verse from Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Beautiful. And Abra, you want to sure. close this out here? And for me, um, just knowing that God is with me at all times and that I don't have to fear. So I chose Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. There's a confidence there. Amen. Yes. I will strengthen you and help you. And we are going to close out the Soul Podcast and this whole series with that. Brad, it's been a good one. Yeah, we could probably do four more episodes. Probably can't get them to come back and visit with us. I don't know, but we really could. Uh, so again, Steve and Abra, thank you for joining us here. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Frank and Autumn, thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing thank your you. courage with all of us. Guys, it's been a blessing, Brad. It's been good. To all our listeners, you heard it. Now you got to go talk about it. Tell somebody the story. It's a muddy world, so walk by faith and walk with grace. We'll see you on the next Soul. That's all for the Soul Podcast, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the story. Join us next time as the conversation continues. You can subscribe wherever great podcasts are found. And you can find every episode at soulpodcast.com. That's S-O-L-E podcast.com. The Soul Podcast is a production of Through the Word. If you like this podcast, you're going to love Through the Word with audio guides for every chapter in the Bible. Join us for an epic journey through the entire Bible and understand the Bible in just 10 minutes a day. Get the app free at throughtheword.org. Thanks, everyone. Our producer is Brad Hornback. Audio production by Kira Joy. Video by Michael Kincaid. Audio editing by Daisy Short. On behalf of the whole team at The Soul Podcast, thanks for joining us. You heard the story. Now go talk about it. Share a post. Tell a friend. Start a conversation. And we'll see you in the next one. You gotta hear that story.